I start out this morning, I first want to say, I will buy the coffee. <laughs> Give me a call. Let's uh, have coffee or, I don't know, Mountain Dew. I'm good with Mountain Dew, too. Whatever your flavor, whatever your um, poison, I suppose, I will, uh, I'll foot the bill. So, uh, w- so we're talking about um, following Jesus. We're talking about making disciples. Uh, that video that you just saw comes from the Timothy Initiative, which Converge uh, Rocky Mountain, Converge Worldwide, partners with the Timothy Initiative in going globally and training people to make disciples, which really is ultimately what the church is as well. Um, we are to be disciples and we are to make disciples. That's how Jesus did it and that's how he wants us to do it because he calls us to his mission. And what is, what, what is Jesus' mission to the world? What, what is it? Somebody tell me. Yell it out. To seek and save the lost, right? We, we talked about that last week. And, and I want to encourage you, if you missed last week's message, um, go online, go on Facebook, watch it. Kind of see what we talked about last week. Lots of good uh, information, uh, lots of good uh, um, teaching from God's Word to uh, kick off this series. Today, um, we see that mission. Um, uh, we also see where Jesus commissions us to be active participants in his mission to the world. Which some of you, when I say that, you might think heavy responsibility. Uh, what we really need to see is opportunity. What, what we really need to see is that the creator of the universe wants us to be a part of his mission to the world. I mean, isn't that great? And, and, it, and, and that can include, you know, jumping four-wheelers off of hills. It can, it can include um, um, praying at the beginning or sharing with people at rodeos. It, can, it, it, it includes everything that we do every day. Now, in Matthew chapter 28, um, and if you would turn there, um, we're going to be in Matthew a few times, and if you could just, you know, maybe leave your Bible open and, and flip there, although Tim didn't leave me a whole lot of time today, so, you know, if I go long, write that on your Connect card, Tim was too long-winded, he didn't leave enough time for Pastor Dave. Uh, just kidding. Um, it's great to have Tim a part of uh, Sunday mornings, and, and Carrie Sue as well when Tim is gone and she's here. Uh, so, and, and, you know, if you, if you think you would, you know, compete well with Tim at, at announcements, uh, write that on a Connect card, too. Uh, if you didn't write enough, if, you, you still, if you're still holding that Connect card, you know, and the offering plate's already been passed, there's a black box on the information counter in the atrium. You can put it in there when you leave here this morning. But, but look at Matthew 28, um, 18 and 19. It says, then Jesus came to them. So last week we looked at the first words that Jesus had for his disciples. It was, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, in this passage, at the end of Matthew, we see essentially the last words that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And this is what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I have all the power and, and what I've chosen to do with all of that power is to seek and save the lost, the poor, the lonely, the tra- downtrodden. Um, I'm going after sinners. And Jesus says, therefore, you, the disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Oh, and, and, and don't forget... I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. I'm not just spinning this top and walking away. Jesus said, I will be with you every step 
of the way to the very end of the age. It's not scary. We don't, as we said last week, have to have and know all of the right words and be afraid of that. When we start thinking that way, when we hear the word evangelism, when we hear the word discipleship between here and the car, somehow we make an excuse for ourselves not to do it, and then we don't think about it again. And, and my prayer is that, that this week, next week, the following week, that our hearts burn to fish for men, to fish for women, to follow Jesus' example as we're going to see here today. We are all on a journey, all in different places. And that's okay. Jesus invites us to follow him. Jesus uh, makes us a promise, and, and then there's this end result being a transformed life and transformed lives of people around us. Now, one other thing I want to mention, because I think this is important, it, 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 as we set the stage last week, uh, if you missed last week, we saw that in 313 AD, when Constantine was trying to unite the Roman Empire, he made some decisions that really changed the trajectory of Christianity. Up until 313 AD, Christians were known as followers of Jesus or followers of the way. They were known for who they followed. And Constantine did a couple things. He, he, he made Christianity legal. He said, it's okay to believe this. And what that did was took the pressure off everybody, which sort of relaxed them. And they began to, to you know, build buildings and do all sorts of other things that they were unable to do before that. And, and pastors, clergy, went from helping people follow Jesus to teaching people about Jesus. And I think that's an important shift for us to recognize because it continues today. Uh, Pastor Leonard Lee said this, Christians were becoming more identified by what they believed than who they followed, and the role of clergy became to teach people what to believe instead of teaching people how to follow Jesus. Ask yourself if that's not you, because I wrestle with this. I want to know all of the right things. I, I, in, in fact, I'm one of those guys that says, you know what you're talking about? You know what I need to believe? Tell me, I will believe that. Now, we do need to know things. Jesus gave us commands. That is a part of it, but that's not it. It's so much deeper than that. And, and we need to, to, to live a, a whole life. Um, disciple making is this. This is a, a, a couple definitions. Disciple making is inviting people to follow Jesus and then teaching them how to follow Jesus. With the end result... That, that they would also invite people to follow Jesus, with the end result that they would also invite people to follow Jesus. Now, a follower is someone who is taking steps in the direction of Jesus that leads to walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And, and a believer... Up until, well, between 33 A.D. and 350 A.D., a believer was known as someone who, who um, placed their trust in Jesus Christ, who were a follower of Jesus Christ. And it seems, and, and, I, and I want us to break this definition, that the, the definition of a believer today is someone who believes the right facts about Jesus. And we get caught up and tied up and focused in our heads 
And we forget that it also needs to be, be proceed through our hearts and into our feet. And it just becomes an academic or an intellectual uh, activity. So let me, let me put this, uh, did you guys, were you able to get that little timeline thing up there or that little... Um, I want you to tell me if minus 10 is far from God, zero is putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and 10 is bearing fruit, where on that timeline does following Jesus begin? Shout it out. Where, where do you think on that timeline following Jesus begins? Minus 10, exactly. It's, it's one step. It's coming into a church. It's asking somebody about Jesus or, or questioning their, their faith or, or, or something. One step. Because think about the disciples. Do you think that when Jesus said, come follow me, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John and James thought in their minds, this is the Messiah, my Savior. I'm going to follow him. Do you think they were at zero when they, when they dropped everything and they, they, they took a step forward, toward him? I don't think so. I think they knew some things about Jesus, but I think they were somewhere between zero and minus ten when they said, when they dropped everything, left their careers, left their families to follow Jesus. They took a step. And Jesus taught them and lived with them, and they took another step. And he and he showed them how to love and how to sacrifice, and they took another step. And then he died, and their minds exploded because they didn't know what to do. And then they saw Jesus again, and, and then they were all in. Speaking of minds blown, I just blew my outline right out the water in that little thing there. See, we need to, we need to stop thinking that helping someone follow Jesus is is having that one conversation that gets them to zero. It's, it's, that's one place. It, it's, it's helping that person at work get from minus 10 to minus 9. It's, 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 it's cultivating a relationship with a neighbor. Uh, maybe not even how, maybe not even what we say, but how we live before them. So there's this process that Jesus took the disciples through. He was making disciples, right? He said, come follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. And, and that's what we are. We are fishers of, or as the newer translations say, people. We are fishers of people. And Jesus promises that he will make us that. So the first part of that is to follow Jesus. It's to follow. To follow Jesus means to take steps in the direction of him that lead to walking in his footsteps. That's exactly what the disciples did. In, in Matthew 4, 19, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. They started on a journey. They, they began the process of becoming, as our mission statement currently says, becoming fully devo devoted followers of Jesus Christ. They didn't always get it. They failed lots, didn't they? Peter was constantly sticking his foot in his mouth. Have you ever been that person? Yeah. Me too. Me too. 
They didn't always understand. They were on a journey. They were in process as, as are we. Just, just like people we're living life with. Right? They're, they're on a journey. They're, they're in process. Um, you know, minus 10. Maybe the people that you know are at a minus 10. Pray. Ask God to give you help to get them from that minus 10 to that minus 9. I mean, they may not darken the door of a church until they get to minus 4. But we need to pray for them. We need to be faithful in living life before them. So they, that they can see that we are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's like training someone to drive a combine or work a cash register or fly an airplane or be a teacher or mow a lawn. It's, it's very much like being a parent. You know, here, uh, watch how I do this, right? Watch how I do this. Jesus showed the disciples how to love others. He showed them how to communicate to people, how to love people. He, he showed them how important children were to him. They lived life with him. They followed him around, literally. (laughs) He showed them the power that he possessed. They saw it firsthand. See, following is about our eyes. Following is about our eyes. Jesus showed them how to plant seeds with God's word, and he showed them how to stand strong in the truth. Every day he did that. And they watched him, and they watched him, and they watched him. For three years they watched him. We watch Jesus. We, uh, following is always about where we're looking. And, and it's always about looking at the right person. Jesus. It's about following Jesus. Not a denomination, not a pastor. Jesus. Hopefully those other things help us with that. But it's about Jesus. how clearly we are seeing Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only one that can change people, really. Not you, not me. And, and we stop following when we look away. So Jesus sent his disciples. There was this instance where Jesus had just taught a bunch of people. He had to stand in a boat to do it because they were crowding the shore. And, and Jesus taught them. And then when he was done, he, he sent the crowd away. And he's, he told his disciples... Um, go on ahead of me to the other side. So they get in the boat. They start rowing to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus proceeds up the mountain to spend some time with the Father and to sort of, I think, set the stage for what he was going to teach the disciples later or actually the next day, early in the morning. So the disciples are trying to cross the Sea of Galilee. A wind came up, and and they're struggling against Jesus the wind with the oars and and they're trying to get across the the sea and i don't remember which watch it was i think it was the third watch was about three or four o'clock in the morning jesus is finished on the mountainside and he decides well okay it's time to go to the other side so he walks to the uh, he's walking to the other side on the water okay this is where jesus is walking on the water the disciples see him out away from the boat and freak out i mean they're like it's a ghost it's a it's a demon and what is it? And Jesus assures them that it's him. And, P- and what does Peter say? Lord, if it's you, tell me to get out of the boat and come to you. And what does Jesus say? Okay. Do it, Peter. It is me. Come. And Peter does. Can, can, you, can you just, can you imagine? I mean, he's getting out of the boat, right? And he's 
skipping his foot on the water. It's like, you know, like, like you're trying to walk across thin ice. Will it hold my weight, you know? And he finds it does. He gets out of the boat. And he's, he's walking towards Jesus. And, but then what does it say happens? <laughs> he stops looking at Jesus and he begins to look at what's going on around him and what happens. He starts to sink. Isn't that you and me? When we take our eyes off of Jesus, oh, we sink quick. We sink into discouragement and depression and doubt and lack of faith because we're not staying focused on him. It's not psychology, it's not doctors, it's not all of these other people that can change our lives and transform us. It's only Jesus. We, I mean, we're traveling this journey together. It is about relationship, yes. But we got to stay focused on Jesus. we got to follow him. Because honestly, if you're just following me or someone else, that's the blind leading the blind. Right? I mean, we, we need to know that who we are following that we can trust. So as we follow and keep our eyes on him and surrender our power and our control, because that's a part of it, then we start to grow in our trust of him. That's the second part of this process that Jesus is taking his disciples through. That we also take other people as we seek to make disciples through. First, there's, there's this following. It's, it's, it's look what I do. Look how I'm following Jesus. And then, and then it's trusting. And trust is the process of placing the full weight of our life in the hands of Jesus Christ. And as we continue to follow and are becoming followers, it becomes the active ingredient in the transformation process. That is trust. Following is about our eyes and trusting is about our minds and our thinking. I mean, I... I begin to trust Jesus when I put my full weight of sin and everything on him. You know, I know some things about this chair. It has four legs. It's made out of plastic. I've seen other people sit in it. I think I can trust it. In fact, I can say I trust it to hold me up when I sit in it. But, but trust really doesn't happen until what? Until I put the full weight of my life in this chair. And, and I've put my full weight in this chair. I've put my full weight at times on this chair. I've even at times had two chairs with a person standing here and a person standing there. And put my weight on the back of the two chairs. You know, so I could get a little higher. It's better to do it with those chairs though because these are a little flimsy in the back, those are solid. It's about, okay, that's kind of a bad example because it's kind of dangerous, but it's about following and it is about knowing things. It's about seeing how Jesus is working in someone else's life and then it's about experiencing that myself. Putting the full weight of my life in there. It's, it's trust. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I want you to think of it this way. This verse, I think, could be read this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't let your mind talk you out of it. Right? We need to help each other with this. We need to keep showing people Jesus so that Jesus changes their minds. 
I, to- I told this story a long time ago, but um, I- I- when I was going to seminary in, uh, in Minnesota, I was traveling home, I remember. I-, I was on 494, headed east, 694. And, and I'm in stop-and-go traffic. It was ridiculous in the afternoons. And uh, there's this pickup in front of me, and he has this bumper sticker in the back window of his pickup. And it's a Calvin and Hobbes bumper sticker, right? He's, he's driving a Chevy. I think you can imagine what the symbol was that Calvin and Hobbes was doing his thing, that Calvin was doing his thing on, right? It was, it was a Ford symbol. And, and there is just something about certain bumper stickers or certain things that people hang off the back of their trucks that just, just makes me mad. It's like, you know what, it's fine to have that attitude, but don't, don't tell me about it. <laughs> Not only that, but I own several Fords, so. Uh, <clears throat> and I don't know, I, it wasn't audible, but I just got this sense that God was speaking to me, and this is what he said. He said, David, you know what? It's not up to you to tell that guy that he needs to remove that bumper sticker off of his pickup. I want you to tell him and show him that I love him. And you know what? I'll take care of the rest. I will show him that that is not an appropriate bumper sticker to have on his pickup. You see, too often we as Christians who know the right things and know what it is to believe want to tell other people that if they will just believe the things that I do, then they'll be okay. And really, the answer is that they need to follow Jesus. And, and I need to point them in that direction, and I need to show them love. Now, I'm not saying don't stand up for truth. I'm not saying, but, but there are ways to do that, and there are ways to certainly not do that. Arguing on Facebook is not a way to do that. It's a no-win situation. It's in relationship where that happens. It's, it's when that other person sees something in your life that's different and they say, you know, I noticed this about you. Tell me about it. Because they will if we are loving them and, and, and living our life before them. Um, Ephesians 4, through 23 says this. Uh, Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. We're going to be talking about that in 1 Corinthians. Which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. How are you trusting Jesus? In 1 Corinthians 2.16, Paul says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 10.5, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's to Christ that this thinking has to come from. It's the, it's the transformation of me. I, I don't think when Paul says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, I don't think he's talking about demolishing all of my neighbor's arguments. I, I, think, I think Paul could very well ta- be talking about that argument that goes on in my head, where I'm trying to talk myself out of things instead of putting my full weight and trust on Jesus Christ. So our thoughts, our minds, obedient to Jesus. That's trust. I follow, and then I what? Say it? Trust. And as I trust, then I begin to love. Number three, 
Love is our response to Jesus' love that leads us to obedience-based living. Love is what moves a follower to trust enough to obey. You see that? It's kind of natural for children. Uh, growing up, if, if they grow up in a loving home where, where, you know, they may not always recognize it, but mom and dad do lots of things sacrificially for them, um, love is just a natural part of their life because they've been following their parents and they've been trusting their parents all along and they experience this love. In fact, they experience this love to, and love their parents enough to take out the garbage when they're asked to. It, it begins to translate and, and move itself into an obedience in relationship. If, if following is about our eyes and trusting is about our mind, love is about our heart and our obedience. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. I, I, there are times when we do have an opportunity and should, I think, maybe debate with other people. And I think that verse right there, if somebody is trying to say, well, all Jesus was about is love, we, you know, which we need to do. But then you come to this and, and you see that Jesus says, you know, it is about love. And if you love me, you will obey what I command. And part of that following and trusting is learning what some of those commands are. That then begin to change how we live our life. Love deepens us in the process of being made into a disciple. I mean, those disciples in the end, after Peter denied him three times and, and Judas Iscariot betrayed him and everybody dispersed and then they saw Jesus alive again and the Holy Spirit comes, which is the life, is, is how we are living today with the power of the Holy Spirit. This ragtag Minus 10, minus 8, minus 7, wherever they were when they started with group of 11 now, disciples, who Jesus promised he would make into disciples. Post-resurrection are now men who are willing to die for Jesus, to follow him to proclaim the good news, to share it with other people that don't know and haven't heard. Jesus takes 12 men, average, uneducated, and hinges eternity on them, doesn't he? And when, those, when he left, when he ascended into heaven, he, so, he tells those disciples, you know what, what I just did for the last three years, go do it. Go do it. Um, when, I'm, when I love, I am willing to sacrifice myself, my things, my thoughts, my priorities, my attitudes. In 1 John 4, 16, it says this, And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Love deepens us in the process of being made into a disciple. 
I mean, and our level of trust deepens too, doesn't it? When, when you experience something hard in life and you at the same time experience the love of God and the peace that passes all understanding, the next time you experience a similar thing, though it might be a little bit different, you go, you know what, I kind of experienced this before, but I know that I can trust God because he was, he was with me in that and he's with me right now. And people on the outside see that. And they go, how does that happen? Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you about this Jesus that I know, whom I've met, and who I follow. And then we are able to love others because of this process that Jesus is taking us through. And someone whose life we are investing in is being taken through that same process by Jesus using us. Living in God and God in us. 1 John 4, 19 says we love because he first loved us. We're going to dive deeper into that next week. So um, let, me, let me continue. So what's the first thing we do? I follow. Second thing, I trust. Third thing, fourth thing is imitate. Imitating Jesus is an intentional process of becoming like him for the purpose of joining him in his mission. What was his mission again? Seek and save the lost. Uh, In Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We know we are loved because we have followed and trusted. And as we live that life of love, we are to live it like Jesus did, sacrificially giving up of ourselves for others, um, being patient with them, just as he was with the disciples. I mean, this is exactly how we raise our children, right? Or, or we, we learn, or we hope to learn a new trade or skills at a job. Again, it's watch me do it, Now I'll do it with you. Now you do it and I'll watch. Right? That's what Jesus did with the disciples. That's what he wants. That's the mission he wants us to have in the life of other people when it comes to following Jesus. There are already people watching you. Why not take that next step? Following is with our eyes, trusting is with our mind, love is about our heart and obedience, imitating is about our hands, our feet, and our words. 1 Peter 2.21, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. John 13, 12 through 15, when he had finished washing their feet, this, is, this blows my mind every time I read it. Every Easter when we focus on this specifically, you've heard me say it. Jesus put on his clothes and returned. Uh, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Jesus washed the disgusting, dirty, dusty feet of the disciples, including the disciple who would later betray him. He didn't say, well, Judas, look at what I'm doing for you. Isn't this a great thing? Nope, he washed Judas' feet, showed him the same love as he did the rest of the disciples. 
And then he says this, do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus is always teaching. Always having to explain to the disciples what he, what's going on, right? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. It's imitating him. It's imitating him. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. How does this work out in our own lives? How does this work out in the lives of people? Um, thank you to everyone that came to the prayer at the lawn in Torrington and came to the Thursday night thing and prayed from home, wherever you were, the National Day of Prayer. Um, on, on Thursday night, during the National Day of Prayer observance, uh, a black pastor shared the story of how he forgave the white supremacist who murdered his wife. The Reverend Anthony B. Thompson, pastor of Holy Trinity Reformed Episcopal Church of Charleston, South Dakota, South Dakota, South Carolina. There might be a Charleston, South Dakota, I don't know, but. Lost his wife in the horrific shooting at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church on June 17th, 2015. Speaking in Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol for a National Day of Prayer event, Reverend Thompson praised God for sending Jesus to show his love. He said this, he came, into, he came unto his own and one of his disciples betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. He still went to the cross out of love and they made a crown of thorns and pushed them deep into his head until he bled. He took our pains, he took our sufferings, never said uh, anything, never cursed them back, never hated them. He stayed on that cross out of love and he prayed for them and for us. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you do that? Thompson asked pointedly. Can you bless those who curse you? Can you do good to those who hate you? Can you pray for those who mistreat you? Can you love your enemies? Then he got personal. Can you love someone who hates you because of the color of your skin? Can you love someone who hates you for being different? Can you love someone who physically and sexually abused you? And then he says this. God asked me that question one day. Very difficult. On June 17th, 2015, a young white supremacist named Dylan Roof killed my wife and eight people at Emmanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And God asked me, he said to me, can you love Dylan? Can you love that man who killed your wife? 48 hours after that horrific tragedy, he continues, I was at Dylan Roof's bond hearing and I had to answer God's question. It haunted me. And as I approached the podium, I thought about myself and I said, God, I am a sinner just like Dylan. And I said to Dylan, son, I forgive you. My family forgives you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, and give your life to the one who matters the most. That's Jesus Christ. So that he can change your ways, change your attitude, and no matter what happens to you, you'll be okay. Thompson may have forgiven Ruth, but the racist murderer's ultimate sin is before God. 
I mean, he will have to repent and receive Jesus' forgiveness for that. But perhaps the black pastor's astounding mercy will urge the white supremacist to realize the evil of his acts and the possibility of God's forgiveness. He is following Jesus, trusting Jesus, loving in his relationship with Jesus right before America. The black pastor's countercultural act of forgiveness might disgust people. How could this black man forgive the white supremacist who hates him for the color of his skin? How could he forgive the man who murdered his wife in cold blood? Modern Americans find it hard to forgive someone for offensive tweets, let alone racist, terrorist, mass murder. Yet, to true Christian men like Thompson, the more important question is, how could he not forgive this man for the forgiveness that he has already received himself? How could a sinner forgiven only by the grace of Jesus Christ withhold forgiveness to someone who mistreats him? Christians understand that we are sinners and God has already forgiven us. How can we withhold mercy from those who mistreat us? I can tell you how, because we are in the process of being made into a disciple by following, by trusting, by loving, and by imitating. And as we live that way, it spills over into the lives of other people around us. I wonder how many conversations he's had. Where he said, I, honestly, I don't understand how I was able to do it, but God gave me the strength. And my guess is that, that, that his ability to trust matured in that moment. When hard times come again or on someone else, and that pastor is able to walk with them through that situation. Not to live it for them, but to be there with them and say, this is what Jesus did for me, and this is how he brought me through the process. Got any questions? As we love Jesus, we begin to imitate. We hear, we see Jesus working in our life, not what he says, or not what we say, but what he says. What's the first thing we do? Follow. Second thing, and as we trust, then we, and as we love, we, and the, and the last thing is, the last thing that we do is bear fruit. We bear fruit. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will what? Bear much fruit. So, so really, bearing fruit becomes about abiding in him, about staying connected to him, staying focused on Jesus Christ. And as we do, and we, do those, and we experience those other parts of the process, the journey, the fruit begins to be born. It, it, it begins to be harvested. The last words of Jesus to his disciples was essentially, okay, guys, you've followed, you've trusted, you've seen me in action, I've watched you in action, I've sent you out, you love me enough to be obedient, you're now known as followers of me, you imitate me, go. Get to fishing for men. And without those 11, we wouldn't be sitting here today would we?
without you, who out there won't follow and trust Jesus because you weren't with the mindset of making disciples, of seeking and saving the lost, that mission that Jesus has given us, following him, fishing. We're going to talk about fishing next week. I mean, it's time to go fishing. Jesus said, my mission is now your mission. Following is about our eyes. Trusting is about our mind. Love is about our heart and obedience and imitating is about our hands and feet and words and bearing fruit, of course, is where we then start seeing the making of new disciples. I forgot to grab one of these this morning, but imagine I have an apple in my hand. And I say, what is this? And you say, an apple very good imagination and when you see this apple what do you see an apple here's what we need to see here's what I believe Jesus wants us to see that apple represents an orchard because it's full of seeds you and I represent an orchard we are full of seeds we are being made into disciples, and, and we can't end there. We can't just say, well, I'm a, I trust more than I did 10 years ago. I've arrived, right? We talked about that last week. We never arrive. And we need to see ourselves as that apple of God's eye who, is, who, who within inside that is contained an orchard. Many seeds which we can cast and sow into the lives of other people. And then who makes them grow? Jesus does. But we got to be sowing. We, I mean, you load up the fishing poles in the boat. Go float out in the, out in the water if you want to. Are you going to catch any fish? You know all the right things. You've got all the right tools. You've got the license. You're not going to even have an opportunity to catch any fish until you throw a worm out there or a lure out there. Until you start fishing. Making disciples. Making disciples. Jesus promised that he would help us with that. Worship team, come up here. Please. Again, what's the first thing we do that someone does? Follow. And as we follow, then we begin to trust. And as we trust, we love and as we love and we get deeper in that relationship with Jesus Christ then we begin to imitate him and as we imitate him and as our life is being transformed then that apple those seeds then begin to what bear fruit that's what the church is about that's what we have to be about we can't be about coming here and just making sure we know the right things and that we're getting through our own life successfully that's part of it and there are times certainly when just being able to stand in the midst of the hard things that are going on in our life is is a successful day but we also need to know that jesus has commissioned us he has called us to be a part of his mission to seek and save the lost let's follow him you know, Jesus paid with his life. And on that last night before he was crucified, he, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, much to their kind of curiosity and confusion, 
take, eat, this represents my body broken for you. All sorts of cool Passover symbols along with that. And then he took the cup and he said something really, really curious to them. This is, this is my blood. This represents my blood. Shed for you. Remember, they've got hundreds of years of Passover celebrations in their mind. Jesus hasn't yet been crucified, though he's been preparing them, telling them this is going to happen. And I wonder, I wonder when they celebrated communion together as disciples after Jesus rose again and went, how much more meaning it had in that moment. We celebrate. You don't have to be a member of North Hills to, to celebrate communion with us as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. When we partake, the bread represents his body broken for us, and we celebrate that. We thank him for that, and we remember that. We remember all that is included in that, and as we partake of the cup, and the, the, the servers will come, and they'll pass the bread and the cup together, and then we'll partake together. And, and this morning, um, new to, to our communion is uh, if you are actually gluten intolerant, um, we have some gluten-free wafers here. Um, you can actually just come up and snag one of those. So that you two can participate with us. Unless you knew that this was going to be communion and you brought your own, which sometimes people do. But Let me pray. And these guys are going to uh, start uh, playing and the servers will come forward and pass the elements. And just hold on to those and, 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 and worship and celebrate and then I'll come up and lead us in partaking together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your work, your mission. Because if it weren't for that mission, we wouldn't be here and we would not have the hope of salvation. We would still be condemned to die and spend eternity in hell. And Lord Jesus, as we together as a church, as, as a family, as we remember and as we celebrate, Father, I pray also that we would leave here today with the mission of following and trusting and loving and imitating and bearing fruit in our minds. And that we'll start casting those nets and throwing that fly out and having conversations. Father, thank you for this series. Thank you for your love. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. In Jesus' name.